0: Hey, everyone. There's, there are two sets of interviews for this installment of Flick City. And the reason why I'm putting it on this feed and not Find Your Film is because I believe the worst ones we, both Bruce and Eric really love this movie. I still have yet to see it, but just so you don't have to hop onto the Find Your Film feed, this makes for a great tie in for this week's Cinematics episode 182 when both Bruce and Eric highly praised the worst ones, which is Currently, as of this recording, available in one theater at the Quad Cinemas in New York, March twenty fourth. But then go to Kino Lorber's website. I will put the link in the notes where you can actually check out the worst ones in hopefully a city near you near you. Or if not, you can actually get it on physical media as well. I believe in May. So the worst ones quote. I'm looking at IMDb right now. I'm hopefully over the weekend. I'm going to check out the worst ones. The worst ones quote centers on a group of teenagers from the same neighborhood that are selected to act in a feature movie during the summer. So these group of teenagers are dubbed, quote, the worst ones by their fellow neighbors or citizens of the community because these are kids who are not actually model citizens. They are, quote, the worst ones. And it centers how their lives are altered, changed by making this film with this filmmaker who might have really good intentions for them as far as bringing out societal ills with his movie, or maybe he might be exploiting them. Maybe both. Who knows? That is the premise of The Worst One, It's and it has received a ton of wins and nominations. I don't even know how to pronounce this. Over at the Cannes Film Festival, it is the winner of the Uncertain Regard Award, and it was a nominee for the Golden Camera at the Cannes Film Festival Award. So, the recipient of the Uncertain Regard Award over at Cannes, or Cannes, however you want to pronounce it, was Lise Akoka and Romain Garet. And apologies for those mispronunciations. Again, Lise Akoka and Romain Garet. Those two filmmakers, co-directors, Eric Holmes interviewed for the worst one, so you can hear some of actually Eric's really interesting questions regarding the realism and fantasy and narrative storytelling. When do those two blend? And since they're making a movie about a director who's making a movie about the exploitation of children or children's problems. When do, Eric asked them when did they draw the line as far as making sure the kids who are employed in The Worst Ones felt safe and secured and nurtured throughout the production. Very interesting stuff. Also, Eric Holmes loves to ask the what's in the box questions so Bruce can add a couple more movies to The Box. So he asked that question as well for The Worst Ones. Again, The Worst Ones available as of Friday, March 24th, at the Quad Cinemas in New York, and then future rollouts in the coming months, and then physical media in May. We'd love to hear what you think of the worst ones as well. French film, I believe the movie is set in a town in northern France. So that is the first set of interviews. The second set is by me. I interview co-director, Refuge co-director, Dean Blankenship. And it's a very interesting documentary because it centers on Chris Buckley, a former army man, army vet, who after being discharged, he becomes a member of the KKK, and ultimately he decides to leave and tries to, well, reform or resurrect or just make his life just more valuable. And what he does, he's living in rural Georgia. What the documentary focuses on is his growing acceptance of his own racism and maturation beyond that point. And a big part of that is it also follows the journey of Dr. Heval Kelly. He's a cardiologist and Kurdish refugee who's living in Clarkston, Georgia at the time. Okay. So the documentary centers on the growing relationship, friendship of Chris Buckley, former KKK member and army vet and Dr. Heval Kelly. and I don't. I don't know if I'm pronouncing the last name. I'm really bad with pronouncing pronouncing last names. I apologize for that. Doctor Haval Kelly. So the cardiologist who is also a Kurdish refugee. So two people who are completely from opposite sides of I don't know opposite sides of the street existence, the coin, however you want to term it. They're just completely different people, and it's great to see them how they relate to one another. And it also this documentary also gives a spotlight to this. Resettlement community of Clarkston, Georgia, which is very interesting as well. So it's a, it's only about 78 to 80 minutes. And I just found this to be a very interesting documentary. And I had the pleasure of speaking to doc, um, not doctor, uh, co director, Din Blankenship about the film. The movie is also co directed by Erin Levin Bernhardt. So she was not available for the interviews and I just got Din Blankenship for it. And yeah, it's a very interesting story. Both Din and Aaron, they started this project back in 2017. On IMDb, the release date here says 2021, so we're assuming that Refuge actually was finished in 2021 in the last couple of years. As Din mentioned during the interview, it was making a bunch of festival runs until today. Today is a big day for both Aaron and Din as their documentary Refuge is available on demand via shout studios. So if I find a link, oh actually for more information on how to purchase or rent or etc cetera, etc cetera, or mainly catch refuge, I will leave the website link as well on the show notes, but it's basically very easy RefugeMovie.com, refugemovie refuge com. Refuge so that is it. The two sets of interviews are the worst ones conducted by Eric Holmes and Refuge conducted by me. So that's Din Blankenship for Refuge and Romain Garrett and Lise, Lise Akoka for the worst ones. Okay. So if you see any of these movies, hit us, hit me up and hit me and Eric up and tell us and Bruce as well. Hit us all up and, and Anderson and tell Anderson to see this ref, this movie Refuge. Anderson only sees four movies per week. That is, I understand he's, he has a lot of on his plate, but maybe if you like it, maybe recommend refugees to him or the worst ones. I need to see that as well. So that that is it. Also one more reminder for next week's cinematics episode. Me, Eric and Bruce, we are covering the Samuel Fuller film The Naked Kiss. It's a very popular movie among his uh, filmography and I don't know if you know who Samuel Fuller is. He's a very great filmmaker. Very interesting story. The Naked Kiss is worth watching just for the opening moments. It's pretty iconic in cinema history. I believe I don't, I, as of a couple of weeks ago, it was available for streaming on Prime Video. I have the Criterion Blu-ray. I purchased it recently. So uh, maybe six months ago. So I'm going to watch it, the Blu-ray version, but I'm going to check. Hopefully it'll be available for on Prime Video for you guys to check out the Naked Kiss. So a little bit of a movie slash book report for you guys. If, you want to see The Naked Kiss and hear us, listen to us, talk about it next week. You have less than a week to see Samuel Fuller's The Naked Kiss. Very interesting film. All right, that's it. And thanks again for supporting me, Anderson, Bruce, and Eric here on Cinematics. Have a great weekend and talk to you guys next week.
1: Oh, wow. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I got the two stars right next to me.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> so, um, so I'm here with uh, Lisa Akoka and roommate uh roman Guerret, uh writers and directors of the worst ones um i look i'm quite slow at this so i thought this was a documentary and this uh felt like it sometimes i don't think it was because uh, on imdb the actors names have different names than their characters um and i think that led to the meta commentary of what you're talking about in this as far as like um exploiting people for art and uh, children not being able to tell uh, separate fact from fiction. Was that some of the intent behind this?
1: Euh, donc, euh, au début, moi, je pensais que c'était un documentaire. Et finalement, tout le long du film, je pensais ça. Après, je suis allée sur euh, db et euh, j'ai vu qu'il y avait des noms différents euh, pour les personnages et les acteurs. Et donc, j'ai compris que c'était pas un documentaire. Mais euh, finalement, euh, ça, ça m'a fait comprendre euh, vraiment ce que euh, était euh, l'intention. Euh, De, 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 j'imagine vous aviez, c'était de parler euh, de, de, de comment on, on peut exploiter des enfants dans des, dans des tournages de films et euh, qu'est-ce que ça veut dire enfin finalement de, d'utiliser des, des, des enfants quand on fait de films et euh, est-ce que euh, est-ce que c'était ça enfin est-ce que j'ai bien compris euh, ce que vous aviez intention de faire.
3: Euh, Oui, tout à fait. Euh, C'est assez courant que les gens euh, euh, aient la sensation euh, ou pensent euh, que c'est du du documentaire ou en tout cas qu'il y a une part documentaire dans le film. Euh, C'est vrai que euh, nous, euh, on le prend aussi comme un compliment parce que ça veut dire qu'il y a une sensation de, de réalisme. Euh, qui est présent euh, mais euh, on tient quand même toujours à, à, à dire que la fabrication de ce film c'est, c'est, c'est fait comme euh, la fabrication d'un film de fiction euh, classique c'est-à-dire euh, avec un scénario qui est écrit qu'on respecte au moment du tournage avec des acteurs qui apprennent leur texte euh, mot pour mot et qui jouent et qui ont appris à jouer Euh, et c'est aussi euh, pour ça qu'on a choisi ces enfants c'est pas parce qu'ils ressemblaient euh, euh très pour très seulement euh, au personnage du film et c'est pas pour euh, euh, la difficulté de leur vie mais c'est aussi pour euh, leur talent et leur euh, et leur euh, don inné pour euh, pour euh, pour le fait de jouer de, de jouer la comédie. Euh, peut-être que je te laisse déjà traduire ça et et, okay. et, et je continuerai.
1: Yes, I I I think that you got it the right way and a lot of people do have a feeling that they're watching a documentary and uh, there is a documentary part in the movie and when people say that, we take it as a compliment because it means that there is a feeling of realism that is there, but we always like to um specify that it is a movie that was made the way a fiction film is, is made. Uh, there was a script uh, that had all of its lines that were respected at the time of shooting with actors that learned those lines uh, and they learned them by heart and they um, used them when they were um, acting. And we chose those kids not because they looked like the characters that we had in mind, but because they came from um you know because they and they did come from a difficult background like those characters but the reason we chose them was their talent and uh, the ability that they had to act and to be um full-fledged actors who turned the text into life and i i will allow interpreting and then i have something else to add
2: okay oh, do you uh, want
1: to voulais continuer Ah oui oui
3: oui bah c'était non c'était simplement pour finir de répondre à, parce que sa question euh, aussi était plus large que ça à la fin euh, non ça veut simplement dire que oui effectivement c'est c'est un film qui interroge la responsabilité d'un cinéma euh, qui euh, est parfois euh, euh, un peu vorace euh, avec euh, euh, la vie de de ceux qui qui, qui tentent de raconter Et qui euh, et, et voilà et du coup c'est 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 vrai que ça fait partie de de du propos qu'on a voulu tenir avec ce film d'interroger ce que va prendre et laisser le cinéma quand il quand il il, il invite des enfants qui sont des enfants en plus fragiles. Et, et, et dans quelle mesure est-ce que ça va être bénéfique pour eux ou au contraire dommageable? Est-ce que ça va faire naître des vocations? Est-ce que ça va au contraire faire susciter des, des espoirs qui seront finalement déçus? C'est effectivement, ouais, c'est de, de, de ça que traite le film en partie.
1: Yes, I'm going to continue because there was another um, layer to your question. And yes, it is a film that asks questions about responsibility of cinema, which sometimes can be a little greedy regarding the lives of those that are protagonists of the storytelling. And um, it's true that um, we wanted to explore what happens when um, cinema covers that, what it takes and what uh, it leaves behind. And when you uh, include uh, children and on top of that, children from a fragile environment, uh, to what extent is that beneficial for them? Or on the contrary, can it be um, negative for them? Uh, Can it create damage? On the one hand, can it uh, allow... The birth of vocations or on the other hand can it uh, lead them on with um generating hopes that are easy to be let down um so yeah this is definitely something that to some extent the movie uh deals with
2: and um what kind of uh steps did you take um i'm sure you probably scared to death for falling into the same trap that the characters in the movie did uh, what kind of steps did you take to make sure that you weren't doing the same to your child actors while making a movie about that
1: qu'est-ce que vous avez fait pour éviter de faire vous-même les erreurs que les réalisateurs fait et dans le film et parce que j'imagine que vous aviez vraiment peur de, 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 d'être vous-même dans la même situation donc j'imagine que vous aviez euh, eu des, 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 des idées des, des méthodes Des, des, des techniques, des méthodes, des choses que vous avez faites pour euh, euh, éviter ça
4: En fait, euh, c'est un film euh, qui s'inspire aussi euh, de euh, des réalisateurs qu'on a pu observer, euh, euh, côtoyer, euh, mais en fait, c'est, c'est un peu une fusion de tout ça. Et nous-mêmes, euh, parfois, euh, alors on ne dépasse jamais les limites comme euh, Gabriel les dépasse dans le film, mais je veux dire, Ça fait partie aussi du travail de se poser la question de où euh, de jusqu'où on peut aller euh, pour euh, le film pour notre film et c'est une question qu'on se pose en permanence d'autant plus que c'est le sujet euh, effectivement euh, euh, de notre travail donc euh, on fait très attention à ça. Euh, je crois que pour euh, essayer de euh, d'éviter le maximum d'erreurs, on travaille beaucoup beaucoup en, in- en amont avec les enfants. Et l'idée, c'est qu'ils puissent arriver sur le plateau en sachant exactement ce qu'ils ont à faire, en connaissant leur texte euh, mot pour mot, de façon très, très précise, pour qu'ensuite, on puisse s'amuser ensemble à, à changer des choses. Mais qu'en tout cas, euh, quand on arrive tous euh, avec le stress, la panique et l'angoisse, euh, on, sa- on, on sache exactement où aller ensemble. Et je crois que ça nous évite pas mal de moments d'hystérie, euh, comme on peut le voir dans le film de Gabriel. Et euh, et puis voilà après euh, avec Liz on a écrit un film en se disant que c'était important aussi euh, de s'inclure nous-mêmes dans cette critique euh, parce qu'on fait aussi du casting sauvage et c'est des problèmes des problématiques qui qui se pose aussi à nous et donc euh, dans un sens euh, on se critique aussi c'est un film qui est une critique mais aussi un hommage au cinéma
1: it's a movie that is inspired by filmmakers that we were able to observe to spend time with to work with but it, there's a little bit of uh, a mix of all of these elements and um, sometimes um there is a risk of crossing those uh, limits those borders the way uh, Gabrielle does in the movie uh, that is part of the job um we need to ask ourselves to what extent you can around, you can go like to how far you can uh, go uh, for the success of your movie it's a question that we ask ourselves all the time and even more so given that it is the core of of our work. So we are very, very careful, uh, I think. Uh, we do anything in our power to avoid um, those mistakes. And we do that by working a lot beforehand with the kids uh, before we get to um the day of shooting. And the idea is for them to get on set to arrive there knowing exactly um, what they need to do, knowing their lines by heart uh, in a very, very specific, precise way so that they're relaxed about that. And when we our shooting on the day, we can play together. We can decide to change things if we want to do that. But when inevitably the stress and the panic and the anxiety of being on set takes over, we know what we want to do together. We know what our objectives are and we can avoid this way moments of um hysteria when we lose it the way we see gabrielle doing in the movie and um having said that liz and i wrote a movie telling each other that it was very important to include ourselves in this kind of criticism because we also work as um street casting directors and so all of these issues coming to play and we do ask ourselves these questions all the time. So to some extent, we are also very self-critical. And so it is a film which is critical towards the world of cinema, but at the same time, it's also an homage, a tribute to cinema.
2: That's wonderful. Um, also uh, with the writing credits, uh, besides uh, at least in Roman, uh, there's, uh, and I'm going to mess the names up, but Eleanor Gurry, who has a screenplay credit, and Catherine pa- Paille, um, Paille, has a collaboration credit. What's the collaboration credit?
1: Donc, euh, dans le scénario, il y a deux autres noms qu'il a dit, et euh, euh, donc il y a quatre personnes. cetait Qu'est-ce que ça veut dire que c'était des collab- collaboratrices? Qu'est-ce que, comment est-ce que vous avez travaillé avec les autres deux co-scénaristes?
3: Alors, Éléonore euh, Guiret, elle a vraiment co-scénarisé le film avec nous, donc on a écrit le film toutes les trois euh, pendant trois ans, euh, euh, tous les jours. Euh, et Catherine Payet, euh, elle a fait ce qu'on appelle une consultation au scénario, c'est-à-dire qu'elle est intervenue deux trois fois pour lire euh, là où on était du scénario et nous et nous nous donner. Euh, uh, des conseils, uh, ses ressentis uh, uh, en ayant plus de recul puisqu'elle n'avait pas uh, travaillé au quotidien avec nous uh, pendant ces trois années d'écriture.
1: Um, so Eleanor um, was truly a co-writer, meaning that she sat down with us over the course of three years and she wrote with us every day, um, whereas Catherine Payet um, had a role that we call um script consultant. That means that she came in two or three times reading what we'd done, uh, reading the script. And then she would give us advice um based on what she thought. And she could do that in a more detached way because she hadn't been involved on the day-to-day over the three years of writing.
2: Okay. And um, uh, one last question. Uh, First of all, uh, thank you for being very forthcoming. This has been great. Um, But uh, my co-host has a, uh, we have a what's in the box segment. We have a box and people put movies in the box. These are movies that are either personal to you or maybe you feel are underseen. Would you like to put a movie in the box for us to watch later?
1: (laughs) Donc euh, d'abord, merci, euh, j'ai vraiment apprécié euh, comme vous êtes très ouverte. Et après, je voulais vous dire que dans notre émission, on a euh, un jeu qu'on fait et on demande euh, euh, aux gens de nous parler d'un film... euh, Qu'elles, qu'elles aiment parce que après euh, c'est un conseil hein, comme ça on dit à nos spectateurs qu'après euh, on suggère de regarder ce film donc euh, et on appelle ça what's in the box c'est quoi que dans 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 une, dans la boîte enfin c'est le film qu'on met dans la boîte disons donc euh, c'est quoi que vous euh, que vous voulez mettre dans notre boîte euh,
3: moi le premier film qui, qui me vient c'est un film qui qui s'appelle euh, Winter Sleep de Nuri Bilge Ceylan et qui est un film assez long mais très très beau et moi qui est un des films qui m'a le plus marqué dans tous les films que j'ai vus dans ma vie
1: um, ok donc uh, so the first film that I can think of is a film by the title uh, Winter Sleep by Nuri Bilge Ceylan uh, and it's a mm, long film, it's very beautiful, it's one of the films that have left the deepest mark in my life, considering all the movies I've seen all all, over the course of my life. Et -hmm. moi, je
4: dirais, euh, et moi, je dirais un film qui s'appelle L'esquive d'Abdelatif Keshish, euh, qui est euh, un peu euh, comme euh, un film référence euh, pour nous, notre travail, et qui, je pense, euh, euh, n'est peut-être pas euh, très connu chez vous, parce que j'allais vous parler, vous donner des d'autres grands films, mais connus peut-être plus chez vous. Et ça, c'est peut-être une bonne façon de le découvrir.
1: Games of Love and Chance by Abdelatif Kashish, uh, which is a movie that I consider as a um deep reference for our work. And I don't think it's very well known uh, in the US. And therefore, I wanted to bring it up uh, because I could have other movies that I could mention, but this one is not so well known. And so it could be a really good way of getting to know it.
2: Well, I've not heard of any of those, so those are great picks. Um, Lisa,
1: thank you. Uh, uh, Lisa,
2: uh, Roman, thank you for uh, taking the time. And Lilia, thank you for translating as well. <laughs> thank You're
1: you welcome. Thank you very much.
0: First of all, Din, this is a very interesting documentary because I was looking at the Instagram feed and just the whole labor of love behind this doc. This is not a doc that was made overnight. Can you just talk the long arduous process on getting it to screen to digital platform just basically to getting it out and the perseverance involved.
5: Oh well, yeah, it's been we've been working on this since 2017. So we started making this in response to the riots in Charlottesville in 2017. Um Aaron and I had both gone to UVA, that's where we met and we felt like there was this rise of hate and extremism, specifically white nationalism that felt like something that needed to be addressed. And I think when we were seeing neo-Nazis and white supremacists storm the streets of this city that um, meant a lot to us, um, we felt called to action. And so we started making this film in response to that. And we started by filming in the Clarkston community because we felt like the refugee community in Clarkston um needed their voices to be not needed their voices to be heard. We felt like their voices needed to be heard in this moment. and um, you know, they're a community of people who have been the survivors of their own forms of nationalism in their home countries, um the survivors of hate and extremism. and they knew really intimately what happens when polarization goes unchecked and becomes tribalism. and um you know, they know the cost of that. And so, That's where we started. And then Chris was introduced to one of our main characters, Haval, which you see in the film. So that really uh, was not something we expected, I'll say. And so we were filming with them for about a year and a half, editing for about two years, because it took us a long time to, we knew the stories were related, Chris's transformation and this community of Clarkson and Chris and Haval's ultimate friendship, but it took us a long time to, stitch them into one story. Um and a lot of that was because of the story we thought we were telling that took such a big shift. But yeah, 2 years of editing, film festivals, and then we got connected to the awesome team at Shout who's helping us get this out to the world. So, it's been quite the journey.
0: <laughs> My gosh, how many hours of footage did you guys have because literally it, you know the, what's that phrase? We don't I don't have all the time in the world, but you could have made another documentary just on Clarkson just on that, which is amazing. And not like you guys have a billion hours to spare, but what could what could how many hours did you accrue? And what other documentary could you have told if you had infinite hours to spend?
5: Man, I mean, I don't know the total number, but I mean thousands of hours of footage because there were there were people that we filmed with who aren't even in the documentary. One of them, we actually have a short film of hers um that we're in post production on because she just she has a really powerful story, but it didn't quite fit into the narrative once Refuge was taking shape. Um, but that, I think we both kind of grieved the loss of the film that we thought we were telling, which was so focused on the Clarkson community. And I think that's one of the challenges of documentary filmmaking is kind of um, holding the vision that you have for the film loosely and recognizing when you might need to shift and pivot and be willing to let go of something that you really cherish if the story kind of requires that. Um, so, I mean, I think we could probably make five other documentaries <laughs> with the footage that we have. And, um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, the Clarkson community deserves its own series of, um, cause there's just so much to be said and understood about this, this community.
0: So what was it like directing both of and Chris, both absolutely different people, different beliefs and, and whatnot, but they have a common ground, which they are friends. But what was it like just separately, both of you just on the day working with each of them uh, respectively and following their, their journeys?
5: Yeah. Well, so um, my partner on the film, Erin, is also a white Southern woman. And, you know, from the beginning, we recognized um, the kind of limited ability that we might have to capture this film as white American born women. And so, um, we brought on a crew, we built our crew of, um, men and women in the Clarkson community who wanted to be filmmakers, but hadn't had the opportunity to develop that skill yet. And so we worked with the, um, workforce development program in DeKalb County to help build our crew of, um, people who were reflective of the community whose story we were telling, we felt like they need to be behind the camera, shaping the story with us, not just on the other side of it. And so that was a huge part of our ability to, um, you know, connect with and see and understand um, Haval's experience at a more kind of granular level. And then the same was true of Chris. We, we had our crew be, uh, people who were from his region he lives in North Georgia right outside of Chattanooga and so our film crew um when we were filming with him was people who were from that area and so I think that was a a lot of what helped us um kind of connect with them is knowing that we had the right team in place with us I think was a big part of it
0: one of the big questions I, I want to ask as a movie fan documentary fan is you're gonna get people asking, what's up with Haval? What's up with Chris? Where are they now? That's the main question after watching the doc, along with other questions, of course, really important stuff. But what is your answer to that?
5: Yeah. um, They're both doing great. Haval has two kids now. Um, He and his wife are both cardiologists in the Atlanta area. Um, And Haval remains a kind of what would the word be like a leader in the Islamic community and just kind of representing, um, not representing his faith to the world, but he is just kind of a spokesperson in a, in a, I don't know. He's just a leader, generally speaking. Um, and then Chris now works for parents for peace. So he is doing the work that you see Arno do in the film. Chris is now doing that for other people. And so Part of that job is doing the one-on-one work work of helping people out of hate groups. And then the other part of it is working with policymakers to help them understand the kind of systemic forces behind this rise of extremism that we're seeing. And so um, he's just, uh, you know, doing amazing work with them. He and Melissa and the kids are doing great. Um, It's been really cool to see the program that Chris and Haval built in the film. Um, In the film, it's called Hate Anonymous, and it now has a different name that I can't remember. But they kind of um, made a more tailored version to uh, support um, police uh, men and women and first responders to help them kind of process their own work-related trauma. And so they rolled that out with several police forces and um, just cool to see that program have the systemic impact that it could have, but um, they're both doing awesome. And it's um, cool to see when I think about, especially where we met Chris um, versus where he is now is um, pretty amazing, but yeah, they're both doing great. Still friends doing their thing.
0: Forgive me. I'm trying to remember the name of the, the woman who is pretty much the representative of the, of the community, she welcomes everyone. Mama Amina.
5: Mama Amina.
0: Uh, Mama Amina. What was that like mm-hmm. on the production day when I think she's welcoming a bunch of people into the town and she's talking about her own family? being murdered, just shooting that sequence. What was the production day like? Because that's a very gripping moment where you get to see people sharing their own stories. And you said you had thousands of hours. So I'm sure that was not just that day. That was just so many times in your respective yeah. journey journey in making this movie, this documentary.
5: Yeah, It um. so she was meeting with a group of young women at an amazing school in Clarkson called the Global Village Project. And the, it's an all-girls school. Um, for the refugee community in Clarkston. And so um, it was really special. You know, we've heard her share her experience as a refugee and and really just her life story. We've heard her share that with us a number of times, but um, seeing her share that with the young women at GVP was really powerful to see the way that her vulnerability with her own loss and her own trauma, you could see how it resonated with them and knowing they weren't alone and what they experienced, um, was being reflected back to them in her. And so, um, that was a powerful moment for us. And also the moment when, um, one of the young girls asked Samina, what do you love about America? And this was 2018. And her response was something like, because I love America because this country is united, um, and something else. And it was really potent because it felt like, are we, are we united? You know, Uh I don't know. And, um, I don't know. It really, it really struck me at the time because it was like, she was casting a vision for what we could be and what we can be, what we are capable of being, but you know, I was sitting there thinking, but are we that right now? So anyway, it was a really powerful. It was a powerful moment for us.
0: Did my final question regarding you starting at two thousand and seventeen in the broad sc- scope. I mean, six years seems like a long time, but when you're doing a documentary like this and you're editing all that footage, I I think maybe six hours seems like almost a drop of water. But I guess in in the broad picture, how have you changed as a filmmaker and storyteller within those six years and just learning about these people and doing this documentary?
5: That's a really good question. So prior to making this documentary, I was actually working in architecture. (laughs) So I learned everything I now know about filmmaking while making this documentary. Um, but I would say, um, you know, it's been a hard stretch for all of us to navigate when I consider the fractured state of our country that we continue to kind of make our way through when you consider COVID and even the impact that COVID had on that specifically. Um, I think I feel just weary by that. And I think a lot of people do and walking through this journey with Chris, with Haval, with Amina, with Melissa has given me, it gives me hope, you know, for what could be that healing is possible. Um, and so I think as I consider just kind of the impact that they've had on me personally, it makes me feel hopeful in times where I think I could otherwise just feel despair of like, how are we ever going to come back together? How are we ever going to see one another as humans, not as, you know, villains who voted for somebody differently than we did. Um, So I think that I've just walked away with a lot more hope that I think I wouldn't have were it not for making this film. Um,
0: Yeah. Yeah. Naturally leaving how did who came up with the moniker because it's very resonant and it really speaks to what this documentary is about
5: the fear and love in the american south
0: or, just or refuge. simple just refuge it's a simple oh, just simple moniker and it really gets to the themes of the movie of the documentary yeah, yeah.
5: Thank you. Um. So that was, man, I'm not going to share with you the Google doc that we have of all the terrible title ideas. (laughs) I think we have like a 14 page single spaced Google document with awful title ideas. And we were circling around a variety of different titles that involved the word refuge. And our editor, Catherine Garrison, I remember the conversation really vividly was like, what about just refuge? And I really liked, I think it really resonated with us because we felt like it really got at the heart of the film, but it also didn't kind of give away, um, what happens, you know, we didn't want to forecast, you know, Chris heals, Chris overcomes his journey. Um, and I liked too, how, we liked how you could interpret it differently as you watch the film, you kind of see little glimpses of what that title could mean. And we liked that people could use, you know, kind of think for themselves about what that title means to them as they watch the film and how the meaning of it can kind of change throughout the film. Um, So, yeah, it was after considering a, a million different versions of using the word refuge that Catherine was like, what about just refuge? So anyway, I'm grateful for her. She's very talented.
0: (laughs) Really enjoyed the documentary. And thank you so much for your time.
5: Yeah, thank you. I enjoyed it.